If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with them to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians 8, as we are in, going to look at navigating, how to navigate the gray areas. This is part two of this, as we're walking through the this wonderful letter of 1 Corinthians, a letter that Paul has written to a church that is rather dysfunctional, rather uh, messed up in some ways, got some disunity, got some problems going on. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to them to, to help them. And in chapter 8, he is specifically dealing with a, a certain source of disunity. He's, de- he's dealing with the division over whether to eat or whether to abstain from meat that has been sacrificed and offered to idols. Now, as I stated last week, the big idea here is not the meat. The big idea of this chapter is not the meat sacrificed to idols, but it is the broader application of what should be our guidelines and our actions regarding these gray areas. Now, how does a local church navigate these areas? That, that becomes the question. How does the local church navigate areas that are morally neutral. Now, I said this last week, and I want to make this very clear again. We are not talking about clear, defined, well-defined commands or doctrines in the Scriptures. Those of you who know me well, know me and, and Brother Trey well, know that we will, die, we will die on that hill. There are things the Bible says, thou shalt not do, thou shalt do, there are things that the Bible clearly portrays as, as certain theologies, certain doctrines, certain principles about God, about man, about the world. They're clearly laid out in Scripture. Okay? That is not what we're talking about. That, that, that's not at all what we're talking about. We're talking about those neutral issues where a Christian has liberty. Where, where a Christian has freedom to, to choose based upon their conscience, or based upon their, their heart, their heart's intent. And so we're talking about areas such as, you know, we brought up different topics, things that have been major issues, especially within the Southern Baptist life over the years, you know. Such things have been brought up in church, such as the issue of dancing or getting tattoos, uh, such as the issue of recreating on the Lord's Day, do, you know, drinking, uh, you know, a little bit of wine, not drinking at all, you know, complete abstinence, or can I drink a little? Uh, we're talking about the issue of what Bible translations, we're talking about the issue of health care nowadays, with the issue of the vaccine, to get the vaccine, not to get the vaccine. We're talking about the issue of politics, who do I vote for, who do I not vote for, you know, do I, do I fall on this side of a policy, do I fall on that side of a policy. We're talking about, about music, and, and we're just talking about all kinds of different things that, that Scripture does not just define yes or no, but instead... Scripture leaves up to the conscience and the freedom of the individual. And unfortunately, what we have found over the life of the Christian and in the life of the church is that our freedom normally gives rise to sinful division. You may remember I said this last week. What, what, what I find interesting is, is that many of us will argue and be very dogmatic and we'll, we will fight over a morally neutral issue, but we will show leniency and freedom in the black and white areas. 
the thou shalt nots. And so we, we, will, we will be sinfully divided over, over these morally neutral issues such as, is it okay to eat the meat or not to eat the meat? And so this difference of opinion will lead to debate, which will lead, can lead to disunity, which then can lead to judgment and contempt of one another. But thankfully, God has not left you and I this morning without wisdom. God has given us wisdom in how to navigate through these matters. And in verses 1, 2, and 3 last week, we laid the foundation of this. How do, we, how do we navigate the gray areas? Well, we saw that we must embrace love and not pride. And it's not just the love of people, but it is the love of God that then leads to a love of people. And it's not the issue of pride. And so today we will build on that foundation. This morning we're going to build on the foundation of, with four principles. Seek edification, consider others, self-examine, and then fourthly, practice self-sacrifice. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, but that there is, that there is no God but one. For even if there, is, there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do. But take care that, your, that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who, has, who, who have knowledge... Dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother from whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble." May God bless the reading and the preaching of His Word this morning. Notice first, seek edification. Have you ever had a uh, half-right answer? Have you ever been half-right? And, and so some of you may be thinking, well, nine times out of ten, that may happen with my spouse, right? I, I, I may have the right knowledge, but I didn't do it with the right tone, or, or with children. It tends to happen maybe even with children sometimes. They have the right answer, but their, their tone, or maybe they bring forth a good argument, but the tone and the attitude is, is wrong. Well, th- this is what I call a, a yes and no uh, chapter, because th- this tends to happen. I've been accused of doing this. Of, of in discussions and in debates and in Bible study. And so I ask a question and someone will, will give an answer that, that is very much within those grounds, but it's not where I was going. And so I'm like, yes, but no. And my wife has accused me of that, of doing that to y'all. So I'm sorry if I've done that. But yeah, but, but what we say, yes, but no, you're, you're half right, you're going there, but, but, but you may not be exactly there yet. Well, that's what's taking place here. Paul, uh, a group of Corinthians, uh, probably the spiritually mature, have informed Paul through a letter that the weaker Christians within the church were offended that they were eating the meat that had been offered to idols. That they were offended and they were at odds with them, you know, with the spiritually mature. 
And so this was their response in the letter. You may remember this from the previous verses there in verse 1, where they say that we know that we all have knowledge. (coughs) We, We know that we all have knowledge. Now, translation, this is what they said. Paul, you know that we're right because we know what the Scripture says. Paul, you know that we're right. We're not committing a sin. They're the ones who are wrong. Paul, Paul, you know that that we have deeper understanding of the Scriptures than of Jesus. So we're right, they're wrong. That's what they were saying. So his response was, yes, but no. You're half right. And so here in these verses, verses 4 through 8, he begins to to explain the yes, but no. In verses 4 through 8, Paul gives the yes, the affirmation. So, so he says here that it's likely the, that, that it's the spiritually weaker Christians here who, who are in need of some education. You must understand that these spiritually weaker Christians had either been saved out of the pagan worship where the meat was offered or they knew a lot about it. And so the, the animal sacrifice was at the very center of this cult worship with a third being sacrificed, a third of it being given to the priest that they may eat, and then a third be giving to the priest that they may sell, that they may then bring in money for their cult practices. And so here, in their minds, the meat was evil. The meat itself was evil. To touch the meat, to, to look upon the meat, was evil in and of itself. And we know that this is not the case, for Jesus says it's not what goes inside the man that defiles him, but what comes out of the man. So, but that's what they thought. Not only that, they thought that by participating in, by, by eating the meat, they were participating in the cult worship. Even if they were, were there at the place, at the restaurant, or they were at the temple, or they were even in their own homes, for them to eat the meat was to participate in the worship of the occult. And so they were appalled. They were appalled at any Christian. But these weren't just any Christians, were they? These were faith family members. These were the people who sat beside them, and in front of them, and behind them, on Sunday morning they were appalled that my brother and sister who goes to First Baptist Church of Jonesboro whatever church would eat of the meat and knowing what I know about the meat but notice that Paul does not affirm the weak Christian again look at the verses he says therefore concerning eating of the things sacrificed idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all uh, from from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord Jesus by Christ by whom are all things, and we exist through him. So, so notice that Paul does not affirm the weaker Christian. Paul does not affirm the one who says, if you eat that, you're being sinful. If you, if you do that, you're being sinful. If you, if you get that on your body, you're being sinful. Paul does not affirm them in this. Who does Paul affirm? Paul affirms the stronger one. Paul affirms the, the individual, the side who has right knowledge and right understanding. The mature believer. Paul says that those who eat the meat are theologically well taught. They are, they are theologically deeper in their faith and their understanding of God and of Christ and the world. What is it that they know? Now, beloved, this is very important when we understand how to navigate these things. Again, as we saw last week, it's not that knowledge in and of itself is bad. It's the pride that comes with our knowledge that is bad. 
But here we find that Paul is affirming the knowledge. So what knowledge do the stronger believers have? Well, number one, we know that they, they say there is no gods. There are none of these gods. Even if there are these so-called gods and these lords, these idols, we know they're pretend gods is what Paul is saying. There is but one God. He is the one who created all things by which we exist. Our God created the world. Not only did God create us, that, that we exist, God created what? God created the meat. God created the meat. We know that in Genesis, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, Genesis chapter 3, that, you know, the, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that, that in and of itself was not evil. What was evil was the fact that Adam broke God's command. And so Paul is saying, we know that God created all things, and even the meat itself is not inherently evil. That's not the problem. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, we're gonna, when we get to the end of this whole talk, this whole lecture about navigating the gray areas, notice what he says. Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of the Lord. They knew this. They understood. They had a deeper understanding of these other individuals. They may have struggled a little bit with these idols and these pretend gods and the eating of the meat. They may, have, they may not have had a deeper understanding of God's creation. That the freedom that comes with, with, with being a, a Christian. A freedom that comes with embracing Christ. They also understood, the stronger believers understood that Jesus is Lord and He is the agent of creation. Notice that he says, Jesus is Lord. This is huge, and, and we don't have time. This is a whole other sermon, but you need to understand. This is huge, what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey guys, Jesus is God. He is God. They are connected. They are one. Jesus is our Lord. And so he's giving deity, and he's giving praise here to Christ for who he is. But also, I want you to notice verse 8. And this is extremely important. Look at verse 8. But food will not commend us to God. We are, he says we are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. In other words, Paul looks at them and he says to them, eating the meat does not make you righteous or unrighteous. Not eating, <coughs> not eating the meat does not make you righteous or unrighteous. Do you know what that is, beloved? That's works-based salvation. <coughs> Excuse me. That's works-based salvation. It's the idea that I am made right by the things that I do and the things that I don't do. I'm right because I don't go to that place. They're not right because they go to that place. I'm not right. I'm right because I don't eat or drink of that. They're not right because they eat or drink of that. That I'm right because I don't participate or act like that. I'm righteous. And you may not ever say it. You may be careful and you may, you may not ever say that it saves you. But salvation is righteousness. And you believe, we, we've bought into this idea that we believe we are made right by the things that we do or don't do. We, we are made right with God. And Paul says, no. Paul looks to the weaker brethren and they say, Beloved, you need to know, it is not whether you eat or don't eat of the meat. It is not your works that make you righteous. What makes you righteous before God? 
The fact that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who came and he, he, he embraced and, and never once did he break the law. He kept the law perfectly and that Christ died in your place, rose from the dead three days later. And for those who repent of their sins and believe upon Christ as Lord and Savior, they are made right. They are made righteous. That's where my righteousness comes from. Not from myself, not from my works. And so Paul is making this clear. So I would call upon you today that if you believe that because you didn't eat the meat, you're right with God, you're wrong. If your Christianity this morning has always been in your whole life, I will go to heaven because I have kept the law because I didn't eat the meat, I didn't drink that, I didn't do this, I didn't participate with that. Beloved, you will bust hell wide open. Your only hope of being right, your only hope of righteousness, beloved, is Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That His righteousness will cover your unrighteousness. And so Paul is saying, the, the mature people understand that in the church, he's saying. He's saying, those people who wrote, the, who wrote and asked, he's saying, yes, you understand that salvation is through, it's by faith alone in Christ. And beloved, hear me this morning, if that, is, if that is not you, if you have not embraced salvation and righteousness by faith alone in Christ, then you are in danger of hell this morning, and you need to repent of your sins and come to know Jesus as Lord. I call upon you. I call upon you this morning. Do not think that you will make it into heaven by your works. You will not make it into heaven. You will not. You will say, Lord, Lord, I did all these things. And he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. We see this here. This is the gospel. This is what Paul's saying. The gospel is I'm not made right by eating or not made, un, or, or not made right or not right by eating or not eating. I'm made right by God, by Christ and his death on the cross. These are deep theological truths that influence our conscience. Below. They influence our decisions. The, the liberty and the freedom that a Christian has in, in their conscience it comes from the Holy Spirit that lives within them and the Bible, which helps them live a free and joyful life in Christ. Beloved, this is not a bad thing. These things are good things. The, the weaker Christians didn't have these deeper knowledge. They didn't have this deeper understanding. They didn't have this correct, they didn't have a conscience that had been sanctified yet. They needed it. Look at verse 7. He, he says in verse 7, However, not all men have this knowledge. Beloved, hear me this morning. When we're navigating the gray areas, you need to understand something. We do not, FBC, and I'm going to make this very specific for First Baptist Church of Jonesboro. We do not abandon the core value of our church of determined discipleship. It's one of, our, it's one of the core values that we're, that we're trying to embrace. Determined discipleship. Listen to what we say. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just listen. All members... If you're a member of the church, all members should be growing into a mature relationship with Jesus Christ. We are to think and act biblically concerning every aspect of our lives. Every aspect of our lives. You see that? Too many times the disagreements that you and I will have over what is right and wrong in a gray area, a questionable area, is not about edification. It's not about discipleship. It's really about who's more spiritual or who's, who's, who's more moral. It's really virtue signaling. I don't do that, so I'm better. 
And how dare you do that? And so that's what this becomes about. It becomes about these two sides. It's not about edification. It's not about discipleship. So, so instead, beloved, it, we need to understand that if we're going to navigate this, discipleship has to be at the core. The edification, remember edification? Building one another up. I'm building you up. You're building me up in these areas. And so seeking the edification of one another through our debates, through our, mis- our disagreements and difference of opinions, will be helpful in this. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, he says, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. It's not okay to be the weaker brother in this. It's not okay for you to be the weaker brother, but somehow you bind the conscience of the stronger brother and make him or her do what you say. It's not okay for you to get your way, but to remain weak in this thing. Therefore, discipleship and mutual edification needs to be the goal in all gray areas. We need to be teachable. Beloved, if I can say anything to you this morning, if I can call upon you, if I can ask of you to embrace anything this morning from here on out, not just here on out in the sermon, but from here on out as our time together on this earth, if I can ask you to do anything this morning, beloved, it would be that you become teachable. Go back to what Paul said last week. You don't know what you think you know sometimes. You may think that you are strong. And if you thought this morning, well, I'm on that strong side, you may not be on that strong side. You may think that you're strong, but in fact, you may have wrong understandings and you need to be corrected on. Or you may be weak (coughs) and just lacking understanding. You've never been trained. Your conscience and everything has never been truly trained. And so therefore, beloved, you must become teachable. In other words, sermons are not meant to just motivate you. Sermons are not meant to just motivate you to go out through your next week. We are learning in here every Sunday. We come to learn. We come to see what the Word is going to teach us. Sunday school time is a time to grow through open discussion, walking through things as a, as a small group. Core seminars on Sunday nights meant to give you a deeper understanding of the scriptures. Our statement of faith, the Baptist faith and message, which you better know and you better be ready to embrace it because we're, you're fixing to see our own denomination is moving away from our own statement of faith. But know the Baptist faith and message, what it is that we believe, beloved. Study your Bible. Don't just read it. Seek to learn from mature Christian brothers and sisters and meditate on the Scriptures throughout the week. Don't just think about your opinions. Don't just think about how something makes you feel. Meditate on whether this it corresponds and is in line with the rest of the Bible. We must be teachable. But notice also, secondly, we must consider others. Look again, verse 7. He says, However, not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were a sacrifice to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Look at verse 9. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who has knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will it not will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? And through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother from whose, who, whose sake Christ died. Now, notice here we get the no. Yes, we need the knowledge. We need to grow. We need to be discipled. 
but know your attitude is wrong. But he, so now he's going to begin to correct them. So, so notice verse 9, take care. That is a present imperative. In other words, it is a command that Paul is giving through the inspiration of the Spirit. Paul is giving this to the church. It's a command that they must continually follow day after day after day. What is the command? If you want to sum it up, it's this. You must consider one another. You must be mindful of those around you. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but you must also look out for the interests of others. We are to be mindful of others. Why? Because not all of us are on the same page. Not all of us are on the same level, spiritually. Now, you may hear that and you get offended. How, how dare you say that? Beloved, it is the truth and it is the reality of life. Some are, are stronger than others. Some weaker than others. Some of you are stronger in some areas where, you know, and weaker in, in others and then vice versa. We're not all on the same place, in the same place. And that's okay. That's the beauty of the faith family. That where those who are weak, they've got someone strong to help them and love them and connect with them. And so Paul makes the distinction here, again, verse 7, that, that there are those who are weak. Now I want you to listen to this. Sinclair Ferguson, wonderful quote here by Sinclair Ferguson. He says, how can it be that those who have strong consciences are actually weak? Conscience is not scripture. Conscience needs to be educated. It's one of the most fatal mistakes of a Christian can make. Listen to this. One of the most fatal mistakes a Christian can make, that because they have been regenerated, that because they have been saved, they think that their conscience has been instructed by Scripture. In other words, you got saved, and then you immediately thought you were right by everything that you feel. You, you got saved, and you read something in the Bible, and you went, that doesn't feel right. It doesn't make me feel right, so, so because I'm saved, that's not right. Or you got saved and all of a sudden you're, you haven't been instructed on your freedoms yet. And Sinclair says you need to be careful of that. Because you may be regenerated, you may be saved, but you have not been sanctified. You haven't grown in your faith. You haven't been molded into the likeness of Christ. So the weaker Christian had not had the spiritual sanctification that the others had. Why? One of the main reasons is they've been Christians longer. Or they had studied, been mentored, and trained. Either way, the conscience of the weaker brethren was not informed by the Scriptures. They had not been sanctified by the Spirit, and so they needed time. They needed the Spirit to grow them. They needed training on how to study the Word. They needed discipleship to be taught the deep doctrines of the, of the Bible. They needed, they, they needed someone to walk with them and they, they needed time to let the Holy Spirit help open their mind to these things. What they did not need was pressure to practice something that they were convicted about. Again, their conscience may, may have been wrong. They may not have had all the knowledge. But their conscience was telling them, it's not right for me to do this. But the stronger brother was saying, no, 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 you need to follow us. Because they were weaker, the pressure posed the potential of being a stumbling block in their spiritual growth. A, a confused conscience, beloved, can trip us up. 
It can heap shame and guilt on us, or worse, it can bring us, as verse 9 says, into ruin. It can injure us spiritually and lead us off into, back into their thing, into idolatry. A person who comes out of alcoholism, who has the conscience that he shouldn't do this, but yet is encouraged to do it because he may have freedom, may find himself back in alcoholism. That's what was happening. And so therefore, beloved, the stronger needed to be mindful of the, of the weaker. Take care. You are not allowed to use your liberty. You are not allowed to use your freedom. You are not allowed to use your knowledge to be a stumbling block and a cause of ruins. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 have equal concern for each other. We are called to consider our faith family members by looking out for them. Even if you have the knowledge and the understanding, beloved, sometimes they're not ready for the knowledge. And by pressuring them and persistently, by being persistent with them, does far more harm than good. And that's what Paul is saying to them. You care more about being right then you care about your brother and sister in the faith. So he commands them, you look out for one another. You die to yourself. Instead of looking in the mirror all the time, instead of looking at you and looking at your, your weaknesses and your strengths, instead of just focusing on you, Paul says, die to yourself and focus on your brother. <coughs> Pray for those who disagree with you. Right? That, that in these disagreements, that when we're walking through the morally neutral areas, we're praying for the individual. Not that they be, not that they just come around to me. No, we're praying that they be edified, that they be built up. Or how about this one? How about you get to know somebody in some other area other than the one you just disagree on? This is huge. If we're going to look out for one another. If I'm going to look out for you and we're going to help grow one another, then guess what I need with you? I need to be able to know you. I need to know your, I need to know your life. I need to know your testimony. I, I need to know your strengths and your weaknesses. I, I need to know that eating the meat is going to be a problem for you. We need to be able to sit, we need to be able to sit down over a salad and talk. We need to sit down and, and, and have you at, at my house or you to come to my house. We, we need to go and, and go evangelizing. We need to do things together and begin to get to know one another so that I know what to look for for you. And you know what to look for for me. Because there are things in my life, and, I'm, and let's just be personal here. There are things in your life, beloved, that you have no problem with. But there are things in my life I can't even be around. And I need you. I need you to care about me. And you need me to care about you. And so, beloved, we must be a part of one another's sanctification in working together together caring for the one who is behind me and the one who's in front of me and the one who is to the sides of me. And by the way, I want to go back to the very beginning of that. This is not an option. Through 
the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes a command. First Baptist Church of Jonesboro, take care. Notice what he says. Take care. You are to take care of one another. You are to, verse 9, but take care that your liberty doesn't cause someone to sin. You are to watch out, beloved, that you are not affecting or influencing someone else in a wrong, sinful way, causing them to sin in a way they should not sin, and in a way to act in a way they don't want to act. This is a command from God to us, to one another. But notice, thirdly, we must self-examine. Look at, look at verse 11. He says, For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Now, Paul continues correcting them, and he's saying that their knowledge has led others and themselves to sin. It's led others and themselves to sin. You sinned against your brother, and not only in sinning against your brother, you have now sinned against God. I actually like the, Am- the Amplified Bible uh, translation of this. He says, and when you sin against your brethren in this way, wounding and damaging their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So, so wounding their conscience, all right, you bring guilt and shame upon them. Unnecessary guilt and shame. You... Th- they participated with you, that you did that, they let you do it, but, but inside they have heaped shame and guilt on themselves. And they go home and they are burdened and they are broken and they are in tears asking the Lord to forgive. You've brought an unnecessary guilt and shame. Or you've damaged them. You've injured them. Well, okay, maybe if they're eating the meat, then it's okay to go to the idol worship where my mom and dad goes. It's okay to go in there too. I, I, I won't go too far, but then they get pulled in, right? And then in the phrase, and then verse 12, he says, and so by sinning against the brethren, here, you're, you're sinning, it's present tense. This means that this is continual. You are continually sinning against the weaker brethren. So in other words, you have the stronger group who's doing this. They are continually, continually poking the bear. They just keep poking and poking and poking the kids have discovered that I don't like getting poked in the side <coughs> some of you have discovered that some of you are happy now and so they, they know I'm very ticklish and I don't like that so what do they do they just poke and they poke and they poke and that's what they were doing eat the meat but we don't want to eat the meat eat the meat but eat the meat why if you eat the meat, you're more spiritual because you're embracing your friend. But, but my conscience is telling me that, that I don't need to eat the meat. Eat the meat. It's peer pressure. It's peer pressuring the weaker Christian to embrace their freedom and eat the meat. What they thought was good for them was actually hurting them. They were bringing shame and guilt upon them. And notice what, notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 35. Listen to what Jesus says. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you, a stranger, invite you in, or naked and clothe you? 
When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to, the, to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And so now we learn a greater knowledge that when I sin against you, that when I heap shame and guilt on you, when I cause you to stumble, beloved, when, when, I, when I do something to you, I am sinning against Christ because the Scriptures tell us that the treatment of a fellow Christian is equal to the treatment of the Lord. And so therefore, when in disagreement, beloved, you must self-examine yourself. Are you sinning in this issue? I don't even mean just the issue itself. Are you sinning in your persistence that you're right and they need to follow suit? Or are you sinning by, by, by against not only them, but are you sinning against Christ? Or are, are you actually staining the gospel witness here that you're, co- <coughs> that you're constantly doing, arguing and arguing rather than investing in unity, rather than love? Is my persistence becoming sinful? Am I abusing my liberty, making me sin against the brother? making me sin against Christ? Am I doing more harm to the faith family than good? Beloved, hear me this morning. Self-examining requires that you examine your words. You examine your words. Are my words edifying or tearing down? You examine your actions. Could it be that I'm abusing my liberty? Could it be that, that, that I, though I have the freedom to eat the meat, that in fact eating the meat is actually sinful because the intent of my heart is not the joy of the Lord and the freedom that comes in Christ, but, but it's just because I'm a glutton maybe, or maybe it's just because I want to just, I just want to flaunt my virtue. And beloved, if that is you this morning, you're sinning against God. Because you have taken a precious gift of God and turned it around for your sinful pleasures. You must examine this morning, do you need to repent and ask forgiveness from others? Matthew 5, 24, leave your offering therefore before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Do you need to repent this morning? Because in your persistence, you sinned against a faith family member and you sinned against Christ. Your righteousness is in Christ. Forgiveness is in Christ. Repent. Come to Christ this morning and make right. Make right what was made wrong in the relationship with one another. And finally, notice the practicing self-sacrifice. Notice what he says in in verse 12 here. Verse 13. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Paul ends his response with a declaration of loving submission and self-sacrifice. Sam Arnold said, he did not say, I will eat just a little meat, or I won't eat when a weaker brother is around. No, he, he would not eat meat ever again if it made a weaker brother stronger. He would never eat meat again if, if, a, if it was going to make a weaker brother struggle. Paul lays aside his rights, his opinions. Paul lays aside his agendas. 
Paul lays aside his pride that the weaker brethren may grow in faith. Paul lays it all that the church may stay unified, that the unity be preserved, that he may invest, continue to invest in Corinth. Beloved, hear me this morning. The scriptures are filled with commands of self-sacrifice. Ephesians 5.21, be subject to one another in the fear of the Christ. Philippians 2.3, in humility consider others better than yourselves. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other. Notice that Paul considers what is at stake. Is being right more important than the faith of my brother and sister? Is being right more important than the faith and the clear conscience of my brother and sister? Again, this is a gray area. This is not clear-cut commands. You need to know that Paul was willing to die for truth. For the things that thou shalt not. Paul was willing to die for those. But here in the gray, questionable areas, Paul is willing to sacrifice his liberty, his freedom, his pleasures for the faith family. Can you say that today? Can you lay down your arms and quit dividing? And quit squabbling. Can you look around this room this morning? Look around and find somebody. Just look at the names in this room today. These are not imaginary Christians that we're talking about. Are you willing to sacrifice your right, your freedom, your liberty to eat the meat, your Bible translation, your... your Tattoo, whatever. Fill in the your politics, your views on health care, your views on whatever it is in this world that is morally neutral. Are you willing to sacrifice you being right and your liberty and fill in the blank with a name that is in this building? That so and so may flourish in Christ. Are you willing to stop talking all the time and actually start listening? Actually be teachable for once? Or are, are you willing to stop trying to, 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 to be prideful and to virtue, be virtue signaling yourself and actually just try to edify one another? To actually <coughs> become a servant and lift others up? Are you willing to stop eating the meat? Or arguing over the meat. So that unity in Christ may prevail. So that the gospel may be sounded clearly. Beloved, if you are not willing to humble yourself and submit and sacrifice, self-sacrifice, then you have sinned according to Isaiah 47.10. Your wisdom and your knowledge have deluded you, have perverted you. For you have said in your heart... I am, and there is no one beside me. You've changed the name of the church from FBC Jonesboro to FBC fill in the blank and add in your name. Because you're not teachable. You don't consider others. And you've sinned against God. 
Self-sacrifice, beloved, self-denial is an essential characteristic of the Christian life. Charles Spurgeon wrote, I have now concentrated all of my prayers into one prayer. That prayer is this, that I may die to self and live holy to him. He also said, you will never glorify God till first of all God has killed you glorifying in yourself. Beloved, hear me this morning. I call on you to repent. If you've abused your liberty, if you've abused your knowledge, if you have abused your spiritual maturity this morning and you have caused weaker brethren to, to, to sin and to stumble and to shame them and make them feel they are somehow lesser Christians, you need to repent before God and before them. Make right. Make right with them. I call on you to love others more than you love yourself. To treat others as though they are more important than, your, than you yourself. And I call on you to build up others, to build up the church, which is the bride of Christ. And I call on everyone this morning to practice humble submission in these disagreements. In the disagreements of the gray areas. Again, that's different rules for the other. But to fight for the greater prize. Not winning the arguments. Not making people do and act a certain way but in portraying the truth of verse 8. But food will not, will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do. That's what we're fighting for. Not whether you're righteous. Not whether I'm righteous. But that any righteous, any righteousness that I have, comes from Christ and Christ alone. That's what we fight for. And that's what the hill we die on. Let's pray.